Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. I never felt more American than when I went to Cuba. It's a complicated realization. You quickly realize there's a lot more to culture, to identity, than food and language. The main character in the play La Gringa feels the same way. And apparently, so do a lot of other people, because it's the longest-running Spanish-language production off-Broadway for more than 25 years. In this story, a New York woman of Puerto Rican background visits the island for the first time. She hopes to connect with family and realizes she feels out of place in both worlds. Now La Gringa is playing in Miami, where a lot of people can relate. Gladys Ramirez is directing La Gringa for its Miami debut. She's the executive director of City Theater, which is putting on the play at the Adrian Arsh Center. She's a Miami native of Peruvian descent, so she can definitely relate. I want to talk to her about how the play speaks to Miami, why it took so long to get here, and what it helped her to learn about her own search for identity. Welcome, Gladys. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I, I, that was one thing that I was thinking about, like, wow, this play has has such long legs, 25 years as a production. 27. 27 years. All right, we were right, more than 25. Yeah, yeah. 27 years is an eternity for a play to run. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, why did it take so long to land in a place like Miami, right? Yeah. I think it's a shame. I mm-hmm. think it's a shame. It's And especially because so much theater in Miami is pulled from New York. Right. And, and uh, La Gringa and Carmen Rivera, the playwright, mm-hmm. They're pillars of of uh, theater in New York for the Latin community. The Latin community is very strong in the theater world in New York. And the fact that it hasn't made its way here yet is amazing to me. And as uh, producers, uh, myself and Margaret Ledford, our artistic director, we were really shocked mm. that it hadn't premiered here yet. And we then were immediately excited to be the ones to bring it here. It, it's almost like you needed... A Latina in charge of, a, <laughs> of an institution to say, "Wow, wait a minute! This seems to have this seems to have resonance in Miami. We should probably uh, do that here." Yeah, and 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 uh, I mentioned Margaret, our artistic director. She found the play, and I, I truthfully, I didn't, I hadn't heard of it. Mm. I didn't know about it. And well, neither had I. Yeah. We had been talking about this just before yeah. coming on. That this play has been running for twenty-seven years, and it's and it's shocking that it hasn't found a wider audience yet. yeah yeah and i think there's like um maybe like cultural or like some there's there's something there underneath about why that i haven't gotten to yet mm. but in in talking to margaret about it we got really excited by the history the longevity obviously something that it's not cats you know right <laughs> it's right. not les mis there's something there that that is really resonating with people and why not here and there's just something about this, the title itself, like I said, it's not well known, like, you know, Les Mis or something, but the title itself, I think, excites people and interests people. And I've never had so many people come up to me and say, this is me. This is just like me. I'm La Gringa. I'm this. And I've, I know I felt like that as a person. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I can't tell you how thrilled we are about the reception that we've gotten, not only critical, but the audience. I mean, people from all over are just emotional about it. Right. Well, let's talk about the outlines of it. So it's it's a woman born in New York um, of Puerto Rican descent. Yeah. And and she has never been to the island, nope. right? No. Nope. And- so her parents are from Puerto Rico. They moved to New York because they couldn't find jobs in Puerto Rico. They raised her in private schools, only speaking English. And so she's been 
um, tokenized in New York by all of the non-Latinos mm. as like, wow, you're the Puerto Rican. You're so like stereotypical. She goes to Puerto Rico thinking, finally, I'm going to connect with here in a way I can't connect with at home. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> everyone's like, you're not like us. You're the other. Right. And I think it's it's one of the things that, you know, like I said at the top, when I went to Cuba, my parents were Cuban-American, but I'm, you know, mm-hmm. if you stand on top of this building, you can see the hospital where I was born in Miami. Um, and and I felt like, oh, I understand this language. It was language that I was brought up with, with like older parents, going hijo de viejo, as we say, you know. <laughs> my parents were older. And um, and when I got there, my language was different. It was it was very retro. It was like it was like listening. To, I imagine it must have been like listening to an old, you know, watching an old movie, yeah. you know, with like those that yeah. Northeast accent. Yeah. And I found that my culture was different yeah. and the food had a basis. But that was different. It was everything was different. Culture shock. Yeah. And I think that that that's something that we can relate to. right? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I'm the same way. I, I'm first generation. I don't know if you're first or second. But I'm first generation. Yeah. yeah. So there's something about uh, where where you go for the first time. And I remember I went there and this woman like held my, when I went to Peru, my parents I was going to say, your, your parents are Peruvians. Yeah. So you went to Peru, what part of, you went to Lima? Lima. Okay. Yeah. And I remember I had gone a few times, but uh, when I went as an adult, this woman came up to me, just held my face and she says, que blanquita. Oh and I was gosh. just like, you know, because I don't look like what a lot of people imagine Peruvians look like. Um, and it's funny because that that also is a whole other thing, like the colorism. And oh, that's a whole other yeah, thing that you yeah. when you land in a Carib- or not even a Caribbean country, a Latin American country, yeah. because of the whole colonial background. Yeah. You know, are you how how white are you on the scale yeah. on the on the uh, color chart, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when that lady held your face yeah. and was like, "Oh, you're so light skinned," you know, <laughs> yeah. I was, I, it was it was so weird to me. Mm. And even you know when I, I went to uh, I went to New World actually got my BFA in acting at New okay. World. Shout out to New World down yeah. the street. Oh, I'm a proud alumni. So uh, when I first graduated college, my agent was sending me to all kinds of castings and she brought me in one day. She was like, Gladys, we need to change your last name because... First of all, he called you Gladys. Yeah, Gladys. <laughs> Versus yeah. a Gladys. Gladys, Gladys, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's something else about that I'll get back to, but she she was like, we got to change your name because I'm sending you to these Latin, these Spanish language castings. And mm. they're like, she's too white. And or American, right? Oof. And then I'd go all to all the quote unquote like white castings, and they're like, "Oh God, she's too Latina." And so I like really legitimately had like an identity crisis mm. at, after I graduated because I was like, "Well, where do I go? What do I do? Who am I supposed to be?" And I briefly changed my name for like a stage name. What was the and stage I went, name? I don't. I really. She, she made me change my last. She was like, "I like Benton." Oh. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I, that flew for like three months. And then I was like, all right, I got to go. And, wow. and now, and now when I, um, my, my dad always used to tell me when I was growing up, Ramirez is con acento sobre la I. So like an accent over the I, right? Like it's Ramirez. You went the other extreme. And, and so then, you know, when I, when I became the executive director of City Theater last year, I made a point to always put the accent in my eye. That's funny. That that's something that happened to me when I went when I went to college. It's something I took for granted growing up in South Florida. And then when uh, when I was published for the first time, it uh, I was I was writing my name in the computer system, and they were like, "We don't know how to make that character." And I was like, "Well, we're gonna figure it out." Google it. Yeah, we're gonna figure it out. And we're gonna do some homework. And well, this is pre Google though. Oh, that's I'm that old. I'm pre Google oh, old. Oh wow. <laughs> so we had to figure out what an ASCII what an ASCII character was, uh, and figure out how to put that in. But it. 
uh, to your point, there is something about um, trying to anchor yourself to pieces of, you start realizing there's more to my identity that I'm aware of, and you start anchoring what you feel are important pieces of it. Yeah. And I'm sure this play, that's one of the things that people are responding to, right? Yes. Tell me some of the response that you've got, because it, it opened when? Uh, it opened, uh, December 1st was our official opening night, and it was so much fun. We had a, a, a parranda, which I learned about through the show. A parranda's a, a Puerto Rican party, uh, a lot of music and dancing, and they start at somebody's house, and they go to down the street to the neighbor's house, and then the neighbor's house, and they're collecting people as they go around. Um, and so we had an opening night, parranda. Amazing. Um, and... Uh, Coquito, of course, like yes. a staple. Um, and uh, we had a, a packed house, an amazing response. Uh, it's a funny play. It's a really funny play. And uh, the universe shined down on us and gave us six incredible actors. And every day I have, you know, sometimes I hide in the lobby to, you know, hear what the streets are saying. And people are like, wow. I, I, that's just like my, my, my grandfather. Oh God, that's just like my sister. That's this, that's that. I've never seen anything like that before. People are genuinely excited to see something. I think that resonates with them because it's not political. It's not, um, trauma. I think a lot of times there are, uh, works that delve a lot into like trauma of a cultural experience. Sure. It's really just about this family and what does immigration do and what is it to the people that leave, to the their children that grow up in a new country, and what happens to the people that are left behind? Right, right. You know, because they're that. I mean, even in my family, we've had those dynamics of, oh, well, you you're you're an American now, so you you must be rich. It must be really easy for you, and not really understanding the all of the things that go into leaving your home and starting again. Right, and and trying to find a foothold. Uh, with where you feel connected to your family in a place and a people, and yet also thrive in a new place. I, the interesting, the interestingly, the play takes place during the holidays, yeah. right? Because the character goes down yeah. during like the Nochebuena time. Yes. Uh, so it fits perfectly in our time right yes. now. You can really get yourself into the Christmas spirit. Um, how does that? How does the holidays? How do that? How does that play as a? Explain to us like yeah. the holiday tradition in, in Puerto Rico versus like Miami. I imagine there's some. There are similarities. similarities. Um, they the the major difference is that um, in case you didn't know, Puerto Ricans are the best party people, and so their holidays us go through the New Year. So they are like partying for two and a half months. I love and it. um, it's interesting because uh, I don't want to give too much of the play away, but uh, some of the characters are at ends about does Christmas still exist here because of loved ones that we lost that made us feel like the Christmas spirit um but one of my favorite scenes is the New Year's Eve scene that we have um it's really funny and it's really dynamic um and I think the most important part of it is the resiliency Hmm. of not just Puerto Ricans but I think uh the Latinidad of um even though Times are tough. You can't find work. You got to make ends meet. You know, you're you're still going to uh, have fun. You're still going to love. You're still going to laugh. You're still going to drink. You're still going to eat. You know, you're still going to make those moments count. And that's what I think is really special about this show is that it shows the joy. That's nice because I, I think about the holidays and I think about something you said just kind of resonated with me is, is how do the holidays feel different when you go to a place 
uh, that you're used to having certain family members in there and once they passed away. And I know that, like in my life, I'm dealing with that. You know, like, uh, you know, once parents, I've lost my parents not too long ago, a couple oh, of years so ago. Sorry. And uh, and it's a readjustment. So yeah. I imagine that, that some of the characters are yes. dealing with a similar exactly. thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When, you know, the love between a mother and a daughter, and uh, that's an important kind of theme in this show, um, you know, that loss it's it's not just about the loss it's about overcoming the loss right which is i think a beautiful thing that carmen has managed to identify and furthermore in the work itself that we've created we have um i don't think we've mentioned it yet the the script is in english and spanish so right. it's um it's not really uh written that way uh carmen had created a spanish version and an english version and um very graciously allowed me to send her a draft of the combined script. Oh, interesting. So in this this version is different than the one we've seen on Broadway Correct. in that it combines English and Spanish. Correct. I love that. So you get some Spanglish in there and, and back and forth? There yeah, there are because there are times, you know, when you're with your family or with your you know, when the family is in Puerto Rico talking amongst themselves, mm -hmm. the real and I'm obsessed with realism, the real thing that would be happening is they're they're speaking in Spanish. Right. Or when they get mad or frustrated to a point where they have to like say, you know, you revert to your natural language. Right. And there are times where uh, La Gringa, uh, she is trying to express herself in Spanish and like she, como se atraca, like she gets stuck and she has to go back to English. And there's times where everybody's accommodating her and speaking in English. And so she, uh, Carmen uh, was incredibly gracious and in just allowing me to put this together in the way that I felt rang true to my experience and um and we don't want to leave anybody out right so we have uh, captioning in both languages mm. the whole show so if you don't speak spanish or if you don't speak english or if you know you have trouble with hearing or anything like that it's there for you the whole time it reminds me of one of my favorite artistic creations, which is Que Pasa USA, the TV yes. show that came on uh, uh, here, that started here in Miami yes. um, and kind of became a, a, a hit in different mm -hmm. cities with big Latin populations because they were, uh, PBS underwrote yes. them, but only if it was an educational program, so it had to be 50-50 Spanish and English. And Luis Santero, who's, one of, who's the head writer and a friend of mine, uh, he talked about that, about the challenge, the incredible challenge of writing a show that is easily understood by any audience watching it, but having it be two languages together. I don't know about that background, but yes, that show, that show was a big part of my childhood. Like watching that show and then like ha being able to experience it with my parents and on kind of that that felt resonated with me. And it's so funny because a couple of people have drawn that parallel Um but it yeah, I think if it feels natural, the audience is there, you know? Our guest today is Gladys Ramirez. She's the director of the play La Gringa. It's playing at the Arts Center through December 17th. You know, we were talking about, before this break, about this interesting thing that you did, which is this play that's been in existence for 25 years, the longest-running Spanish-language play off-Broadway. Mm -hmm. and, and for the first time, someone actually wrote what you did, wrote it in Spanish and English. Um, and that whole, and it, again, it just got me thinking about Que Pasa USA and growing up with that. Tell me about growing up in a similar yeah. fused environment where English and Spanish meet because your parents were Peruvian, but yeah. they were immigrants here. Yeah, yeah. They, um, 
they came over here because you know back in that time there was a lot of terrorism and stuff in in Peru and they wanted a a better life. That's what I was going to say because we've had such a I would I'm almost say a quiet influx of Peruvian immigrants that have influenced so much of of Miami and South Florida culture. Yes. So they came here why? Because of the terrorism? Yeah, it was like the time of Fujimori with um and you know my mom worked at a bank and there was a lot of banks being bombed. Oh my, my dad God. was a firefighter. And so he was having kind of to deal with the repercussions of what was going on. He was putting out fires yeah. and, and responding to explosions yeah. and yes. such. Yes, yes. And so they got married very young and they did the old, uh, we're going to come here and stay. And uh, that's when it was easier to ask for your family members to be here. And they already had some relatives here. And so um, they came and every day I'm grateful for that. And even more so in the experience of directing this because the struggle that they had you know my father's carpenter my mother's a seamstress and i've had an amazing life i've i've had an incredible opportunity to be an artist i don't know that i would have been able to have that otherwise right well there's something about you know that that sacrifice that then i i know that they would look at their children and be like i want them to do something that yeah. it, that is that fuels an interest and a passion yeah. you know in them I mean, don't get it twisted. They're still Latin parents. They were like, why didn't you go to law school? <laughs> but I think we've gotten past that. <laughs> I know. Yep. Uh-huh. No, no, no. So um, I did the next best thing. I married a lawyer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you came to, uh, they came to Hialeah. Is that where you grew up? Yes. Yeah. So we were between Hialeah. And it's funny because we lived in Kendall when Andrew happened. Oh. Um, and then when How was I your was, house? Did your house make it through Kendall? Or is no, that why you went to Hialeah? Yeah, a tree fell on the house. Wow. And um, I remember I was going to school and um, my mom had gotten a job in Boca. And I, we had some family in Boca. And they were like, this neighborhood's no good. We got to get out of here. We're going to go wow. to Boca. And you were around how old? Um, This was elementary school. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that was... You know, I was used to coming from a school where we'd have, you know, English and Spanish and all of that. And then I don't have to tell you the, the differences. <laughs> no, do tell me the differences, because I think that plays into so much the play, but also because the play resonates. Yeah. Yeah. That idea of growing in a place, place like Hialeah or Kendall that is yeah. very Latino, that yeah. is that Spanish is just yeah. every second or third word, if not every word. Yeah. To go into a place like Boca, what was that like for you as like a 10 year old kid or whatever? It was it was a little scary. I think in that um, everyone was of a different socioeconomic background. Mm. And I think it was um, an experience to learn how to fit in and how to feel yourself among people that might be different. But I did find a lot of amazing friends, a lot of amazing opportunities. Um, I think it worked out really well because my fifth grade play, we did Annie. Uh, the musical, which I didn't know anything about theater, musicals, anything. So they showed us the Carol Burnett version and school. And, you know, every girl wants to be little orphan Annie. Mm -hmm. Gladys wanted to be Miss Hannigan. <laughs> so that was the fifth grade play. I played Miss Hannigan. And after that, I became obsessed with theater. And that really opened a lot of doors in terms of me feeling like I could express myself, fit in, you know, um, and... That really led me to where I am today. Right. So I, I'm grateful for the move. Um, I'm grateful for the people that I've met, the experiences, and um, the education that I've been able to have, too. 
That so how did you get to New World? How did that? How did you? Were, did you guys move back down? Or no, what, no, no. Well, I I wanted to go to theater, uh, to to school for theater, mm-hmm. um, despite my my parents' best efforts. At that point, you had decided, okay, this is something oh, that yeah. fuels my passion, and your parents oh, yeah. were were open enough to to say, all right, we're gonna make this happen then. Um. Well. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So yeah. So after I started doing theater, uh, in uh, in elementary school, I kept with it. They put me in classes. I did summer camps. I lived that life. Okay. I went to a high school for theater and all of that. And then I decided I want to go to school, but I wasn't, I didn't want to leave yet. And I really liked New World. And I auditioned and I got in. And so I came back down by myself. Oh, my goodness. Um, and Were you commuting back and forth? Or did you for a year. Down? For a year. And then I moved back. And then I moved down. Who, yeah. Now, what was that like? Were you here staying with family then? Um, no, I, I rented a room. I rented a room. I made it happen. I was wow. really lucky. Bright Futures paid for me to to go to college, and I got scholarships. And um, yeah, New World was another big learning lesson because it. W- I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but you know, things were a little different in terms of what roles you could play or what you know opportunities you might have. Is that the first time you started to feel that, like starting to see that that where does the world see me? Yeah, yeah. As it as, comes to my as, art. Yeah, as an actor. Yeah. How, yeah. did, how did that start to, well, shoot, you, I mean, you had an agent telling you you had to change your name and become yeah. Gladys, what is it? Benton. Gladys Benton. <laughs> Gladys yeah. Benton from the yeah. Upper East Side. Yeah. And I think that's a little glimpse into who that person was. A, a very nice, well-intentioned person. Right. But, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, I was kind of like banished to character actor land um, where I would have to just play the bit roles. Anybody with an accent. Mm-hmm. Um and then a blessing and a curse because one of the biggest uh, first opportunities I got was at Gable Stage. Um, the Mother Bleep with a Hat is the name of the play. Okay. I played Veronica, this uh, uh, really uh, crazy uh, Puerto Rican, New York intense, you know, woman. Um, and I got to swing a baseball bat and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But then I became that character and oh. and it's amazing because i for years went to auditions and people would incredible you're so incredible i loved you in that show blah 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 never would get a call back because it wasn't for that that type right you know what i mean yeah so i mean things have evolved obviously in our time now mm-hmm. but there's definitely something to still be said about how people are able to be seen you know, and that that is interesting to me because the play that you're directing now is about a character that visits you know, their homeland yeah. and how and how they're seen differently and where they where they grew up and then where this homeland yes. that they're connected to. I'm curious about your own first experience when you visited your parents' homeland when you went to, oh, to Peru. Obviously, that that story about that woman just grabbing your face. But what what's like? What did you begin to understand about? yourself in a different way after that trip i think part of it was i understood my parents differently because i met hmm. these people that i've i had heard about hmm. from my parents and i got to see them and really see where they grew up and that i mean you know when you go from boca and not that we lived in a mansion you know but when you go from boca to lince which is a little uh, section of peru where it's cramped it's small our family had that apartment since my mom was a child. Mm. And like that's like the family home, quote unquote, like this little two bedroom. Different generations of family yes, would go. Yes. You know, I had this experience when I went to Cuba. I visited family members who who 
left that apartment 50 years ago and they've had two or three generations come through that same little two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, which is also reflected in La Gringa. There's this big point of contention with one of the characters about the family home and who has a right to be at the family home. And um, a lot of what I, my personal experience, I think, you know, the universe really put me as the director of this play because that wasn't the intention going into it, but the the universe allowed my experiences to inform what that was and to understand from having traveled to my parents homeland from being first generation myself you know and like all of my professional experiences that prepared me to be able to like i just saw it i just saw it and i was like no i i I think it let's think of it like this because there's it's so real i didn't want to disappoint Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so I really needed to have that clarity of vision of what is going to ring true to an audience that is here because they want to see themselves. I imagine there must have been a point when you're writing, where you're rewriting parts of this play in Spanish, where you're reading it in English and saying, no, in Miami, we would say that in Spanish or uh, we would say that yeah. differently. Did well, you have moments like that? Well, to be to be fair, to be clear, um, I didn't write anything. Mm-hmm. I just literally like translate. Um took like copied and pasted from the English and the Spanish scripts I see. and put them together. Oh, okay. So sometimes, you know, they'll speak in Spanish, sometimes in English. But yes, that did come up because <laughs> there's this one joke. I'm collaborative. So I, I let myself be uh, 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 overruled. But there was this one joke in the show that I was like, to me, it sounds so much funnier in Spanish and I really think it should be in Spanish. And then we had like, you know, we were talking about it and I let that go. But yeah, there's definitely points of humor. Like some things just sound better, you know, in one language versus the other. Or like certain like code switches. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this part when she's like, you know, the guy. What guy? The guy. El tipo. El tipo. Oh, el tipo. And then they keep talking about like, who are you talking about? Like, el tipo. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's like callbacks that were really fun to just kind of like discovered. And I was so surprised and honored that Carmen was like, yeah, sure, give it a try. Send it to me. Amazing. Yeah. Has has she has she seen the play? She's coming. Oh, is she really? Yeah, so she'll be with uh in conversation with me Mm. on uh Friday night, this Friday, uh after the show, um, we're gonna do like a post show discussion and and so she'll be there and she'll watch and she's been incredibly open and supportive and I've been sending her pictures and um along the way and you know, there's something really beautiful about this open, collaborative experience. And the show is full of symbolism. It's um, full of magic. And I see where that came from with her. Right. So anyone that goes, if you buy a ticket to Friday's show, you, you can yeah. stay for the, the conversation yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of feedback has she gotten? Have you sent her little video clips? As I'm, I'm curious whether, like, what her feedback is. I'm so curious to see what what her feedback will be in person. But I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I mean, she's been very supportive. She's seen the press. I mean, my goodness, the 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 reviews have been exceptional. Oh, that's fantastic. And um, we've you know been all over doing a media blitz and posting on social media. So she's seen a lot of that. Um, coverage and and b-roll and stuff like that and i know um i she loves the set so the so the set is uh in the round which means the audience 
is all around and the circle in the middle is the stage. And I had our our designer, Natalie Taveras, who co-designed with Jody Del Ventura. Natalie is Puerto Rican. And I w- was like, you know, I looked into this Taino culture of sitting in a circle with on these stones that have carvings of different gods. And something about that idea is really resonating with me. And she came back with a beautiful design that really just captures that experience. And I, my intention wasn't to do it in the round because that's hard yeah. <laughs> as a director. Yeah. But I don't think that it, it should be done any other way now because you, you as the audience, not only do you look across the stage and see the other audience, so you feel like, oh, I'm being seen, I'm part of this, but you're like three feet away from these people in their kitchen. See, that's so interesting to me that, you know, this is one of those situations in a play where it's not like a traveling play. Like if you've seen Hamilton in New York or Chicago or Miami, which I've seen in all three places uh, because I am a theater nerd, it's the same play in all three places and it doesn't change for location. But something like this, the setting changes, the scenery changes, the the language of the show changes. That to me is so interesting. Yes, and, and, and I don't know, and I'm sure someone will tell me, I don't know if it's ever been done in the round, mm. but I'm incredibly glad that we did it, even though like just like as a technical theater thing, the staging, how do you, how do you seamlessly set a play in 360? That was like a huge task. But I will also say about this, the difference of this production, uh, Ernesto Gonzalez, who is our sound designer, also Puerto Rican, he created this beautiful soundtrack. He actually composed a song with this musician, um, Pedro Villanova, and a couple of other musicians, and they actually wrote a coqui song for the show. So like the coqui, the frogs, they go, coqui, coqui. He wrote this beautiful song and he created a, a, tr- a whole track so like the pre-show music is Radio Coqui. So like it's that. a fake Puerto Rican radio station and they're giving the character shouts out, shout outs and they're they're like, you know, talking about Puerto Rico, whatever. And so like you walk in and it kind of just sounds like a radio station is playing, mm-hmm. but it's all intentional. Like there are so many things that we have done that it doesn't matter if the audience automatically understands like, oh, well, they created this radio station, but it's the people that were involved were so dedicated to the details and creating these little touches that I think when they came together, it really captured this like moment. See, this strikes me as something that you have to see it in a creative way as a director, right? In creating this, the expression of this. Talk to me a little bit about going from actor yeah. to director because I imagine it's one of those things like uh, when you, if you own a restaurant, you got to know how to do every job, right? <laughs> uh, how did acting lead to directing? Shoo. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was always, uh, I was always interested in being on stage. And then at one point I started, I did the, the early twenties call uh, theater kid thing. And I was like, I'm going to do my own work. Started, uh, directing some, some shows that I would do with, um, friends in a company. And then, uh, Margaret Ledford, who's our artistic director, mm. she hired me to direct my first like professional job shorts. So city theater is primarily known for uh, short plays. Right, you guys um, put on a summer shorts exactly. series every summer at the Arts Center. Exactly, yes. And um, so I started directing shorts. I directed like a, probably a, a dozen shorts in different short plays, uh, formats that we have. And um, 
and uh, then went the long way around and came back and was executive director. Um, so I've kind of worked my way up. And that's why when I, I ask uh, things of the people that work as part of our productions, I'm not, I'm very aware of what I'm asking for because I've literally worked my way up through all of those roles. But there must be something specifically interesting to you to say like, no, directing is what I'm interested in. What is it about, <sighs> what is it about that aspect of it that is, that kind of fuels you as a creative Ooh, person? Okay, good question. I don't know. I think I get a vision in my head of what of what it of what it is. Like I just like see this thing in my head and I'm I hold on to that. Mm. I hold on to that and I and I you a lot of it is just trusting <laughs> yourself and the people that you work with. So like for example, when Natalie was like I want to do this um chandelier piece, I want to do this in the round or when Ernesto was like I want to do this radio station, a lot of it is just like yes. You see it and I trust you. So yes, a lot of it is 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 yes. And I just get excited when people see the story that I had in my head all along. You know what I mean? When people when there's a moment in the show where people like have a certain reaction. And sometimes I was like a crazy person in the rehearsal room because I'm like, trust me, the audience is waiting for blah, 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 and they're gonna be like this. And then when it happens, I'm like, oh, oh my God, it's magic. And that's what I love about theater. It's like that moment that is not recreated ever. And it's a different show slightly every time, you know? Our guest today is Gladys Ramirez. She's a South Florida native and the executive director of City Theater in Miami. Her production of La Gringa is playing at the Arts Center through December 17. So, Gladys, talk to me about, uh, you know, obviously City Theater gets a chance to make this play. Mm. And, and you guys definitely make it your own. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, like, is that part of City Theater's kind of DNA? Is, mm-hmm. is kind of searching for... Uh, unique twists of things because I know that the summer series is kind of like that, right? Yes, yes. So, um, uh, Margaret and I feel really strongly about um, putting the the city in city theater. You mm, know, mm-hmm. who who are we doing this for? And um, it really seems like La Gringa was a choice that really resonates with our community. And um, we also feel strongly about um, sustaining. And our local arts ecosystem. Mm. We're having kind of like a talent dump here in in South Florida. You know, the cost of living. It's not easy to be an artist. And so we, we really feel strongly about supporting local artists. Um, and uh, a lot of our programs are geared towards that, the community. So we have our full length, which is part of the Arts Center's Theater Up Close series. And then we also have Summer Shorts, which is now going to be the 28th annual summer shorts it's a short play festival wow so you you guys put on two major productions at the arsht every year correct right and what's the next one coming up summer shorts oh summer shorts summer shorts and we also have various programs in the community um that are free so an important thing for us is is getting out to where the audiences are so we have a a shortcuts tour it's short plays that goes to miami-dade county public schools uh, libraries, summer camps, um, because as we both know, mm. it's important to give kids that spark of like, oh, wow, this thing exists that they might not otherwise have. We have the City Reads program, which we uh, read plays throughout the community. So we're at Books and Books. This year, we're expanding on to Key Biscayne. Uh, we're at Pinecrest Gardens. And we also have a uh, the Homegrown Playwright Development Program. 
So, Interesting. so I imagine I imagine some of the folks that come into that homegrown program maybe grew up. Uh, you were, if you've yeah. been doing this for twenty plus years, came up having seen some kind of yeah. production of of city theaters. At yes, point, right. Yes, and the best part. Look, there's a lot of playwright development programs, but we're really proud to say that we focus on playwrights from historically marginalized communities. Mm-hmm that we pair them with Vanessa Garcia, who is a Miami playwright who's just blowing up. She's getting produced everywhere. Well, she was a, a past guest. And oh. I don't want to say we had two of the summer short um, uh, playwrights in studio with <gasps> us uh, earlier this year. That's right. That's yep. right. So they were they were part of the homegrown cohort. And what kind of distinguishes us, uh, I think, from a lot of playwright development programs is that we have the playwrights develop a short play through the program, and then we produce it as part of summer shorts. So last year we had eight playwrights in the cohort and all eight plays, the summer shorts were written, were new world premiere plays by the playwrights. So we really want to invest in the future of our community. And we also want to show, hey, this is all the talent we have. This is a all local cast, all local company. And we don't have to go to, you know, New York or not that there's anything wrong with that model, but our model is we want to, create a sustainable ecosystem for people to create in Miami. Talk to me about some of those success stories, some of the ones that kind of stand out in your mind, you know, people that have either written for or acted in, you know, the the city theater program that, uh, that you know, that have stood out to you as oh. kind of like big success stories. Oh, know? my gosh. Okay. Uh, Oscar Isaac was part of Summer Shorts. That nobody? Many, yeah. Many years ago, he was uh, part of the company. I mean, we've had so many incredible artists that have gone on. I mean, Marco Ramirez, mm. who is a, a film and TV writer. He is also an incredible success story. Um, and so many more that I, I can't name. But more recently, somebody that was that really stood out to me personally as an inspiration was Lolita Stewart-White, mm. who was one of the playwrights in the inaugural cohort of Homegrown. She had wow. experience doing film. She had experience as an educator and a spoken word poet. And she had never written a play. Wow. And she has written some of the best work that I think that I've seen coming out of that program. She just found her voice. And I think it's a, a testament to Vanessa's guidance, to her own natural spirit. And also, like, if you give somebody a chance, it's amazing to see what they create. And she's given so much back through her work. Um, and so that, yeah, and I love that. I love that that you don't have to be a theater person to, you know, to to succeed in it. You can find your way and find your voice. And, yeah. That must be rewarding, too, to see somebody come in um, and discover that. Discover that it, maybe through an acting, find out that they want to direct. Or through yeah. directing, find out that they want to step in and act, you know. Yeah. And seeing them kind of develop that. Yeah. And then seeing that kind of reflected in the community, right? Yeah. Like seeing that uh, affect people look like saying, oh, I, I remember Oscar Isaac when he was that kid and yeah. playing such such play or what have you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, um, uh, uh, Susie Westfall, who is a co-founder and she recently transitioned off the staff into the board, The it's a real testament to her and to um, all of the, the women that have led the company um, because this is a female founded company and they have found a way to really invest and pull together the community to make this organization last now 28 years, which I think is really remarkable. And um, I think it's great that it's all women. I'm curious, you know, we talked about that 
the model, the idea that like you start in a place and you go to New York. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious whether that was ever interesting to you, whether that was something that you ever thought about, like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, recreate yeah. the, the, the movie Rent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did think about it. I did think about it. But, you know, I, I think I ultimately settled on I'd rather be a big fish in a smaller pond. Yeah. And um, I'm very family oriented and my parents are here. And um, yeah, I ended up finding finding my way and in a way that maybe I couldn't have in in another place. Yeah. But I, I, you know, for all of its faults, I think Miami is a really unique place, and it's it's hard it's hard to think of where do I go if not here. Right. Yeah. Do Do you find that there is that there are things in Miami that inspire you in such a way that that you know, another place doesn't, you know, that you get that, it, well, like just that whole idea of deciding we're going to make this play both yeah. in Spanish and in English. Yeah. Where else could you do that? Yeah. I mean, really? Right. And then, where and else then, could you, could you do that yeah. in, uh, you know, yeah. Iowa somewhere? Maybe. No. I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But like, you know, and it's such an important part of my personal culture mm -hmm. is, you know, I'm not Cuban or, but I, I feel like that's part of my identity because of growing up here, you know, like the food, the music, the the language. And like, um, like you said, there's so many Peruvians here. So whenever I want my Lomo Saltado, I know where to go. You know what I All mean? Right, where do we go? Oh, uh, I don't want to blow up your. Do you have a hidden spot or do you? Yeah, I'll you tell do? you after. All right. All right. We're I don't not sorry. Folks. I don't want to hurt anybody's <laughs> feelings. Um, Look, go to Aromas de Peru, everybody else, I guess. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. <laughs> Although Trish. we have we have we've had some very gifted uh, Peruvian, even Peruvian chefs on the show. <gasps> yeah. uh, the 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 Chang gang, as we call them, they own the uh, the Itame restaurants. Um, Ooh, I'll have to check that out. Yes, yes, and they do kind of high end things. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we're such a melting pot, and like you know, yeah. I, I just I I have a love hate. You know, I hate it when I have to like go to Publix and it's like Mad Max. But I I love like the culture here and the the duality of languages and it feels so international and like now everybody wants to really be here, so it's causing some trouble. But you know, yeah, exactly. Everybody else wants to be here now I too. Know. But that that does that show up in the kind of things that city theater produces too? Now is this idea that you have yeah. kids from everywhere who have grown yeah. up here with with slightly both a a Miaminess yeah. right, but also a connection to their to their background. Yes, right? yes, and I think that's so important, and it's like part of what makes what's made La Gringa such a success for us is that people want to see themselves, and it's not it's not one person. And it's not a people who are a monolith, mm. but they want to see these um, dynamics. And that's the beautiful thing about the short play format. Summer Shorts is eight short plays, so eight like 10 minute plays, right? So you have eight different playwright perspectives. You have eight different micro casts who have eight different points of views and stories. And that that makes such a rich discussion because full length format is great. But you see eight totally different things, and it gives us the opportunity to resonate with different groups. And if you hate something, in 10 minutes it'll be over, and then you'll love the next one. Right. Well, and like we were saying during the break, like there is something about theater, the liveness of it, the fact that uh, you can watch the same show. You know, it's it, they run eight times a week, and if you watch all eight of them, they will all be different in some way. Uh, whether it's different people playing a part differently or saying things differently. There's... Or the audience, the audience and reacting. The audience, they're, yes. they're the other character. And that's what I was telling the actors when we were uh, do, going through a preview and stuff. I'm like, okay, now the 
the other actor is going to come on stage with you and that's the audience because you don't know sometimes they'll laugh they'll who i mean these audiences have been fantastic you'll get people out there just saying something out loud you get hooting and hollering and clapping and then sometimes you have a very quiet audience and that affects the timing Mm -hmm. but i just i always just tell the actors let's do the show we rehearsed (laughs) let's just (laughs) hold on to it yeah well there is kind of a a a concert concert vibe to it right like if people really get into it and they start and they start interacting there is a little bit of that too and then we won we won because that's what we want we want to engage with them i don't think that theater or community is something that you do at people i think it's something that you do with people Mm. and i think a lot we we're very blessed with very diverse in all senses audiences we are very blessed with this uh, production that we're getting sold out crowds and i think it's because we approached it as a dialogue you know with the bilingual thing you know, we don't want anyone to be excluded. So we have both languages subtitled the whole time. We, you know, how else can we interact? We, Margaret and I do a bilingual curtain speech. So we. How does walk, that go? Oh, you, you'll, you'll come in and see it. But, you know, she does it in English. I follow up with the Spanish. And we give the audience permission to laugh because we want them to know you're, you're, you're home. Grab a drink, sit down and like be with us. This is not the library. Right. Right. And we don't we don't we don't we don't want that. And um, I don't know, I might have to retire after this because I don't know if it gets any better than this. <laughs> well, I was going to say, kind of thinking about what's next, this idea of like, do you have an idea about uh, other national plays? Does it make you start to think about like what other national plays could we take in and in a, in infuse with some Miami-ness yeah. to it? Things or that Miami to, plays. Or like what? What is what is something that's in your head um, when you say Miami play? Well, like. Are there store like going back to our idea of supporting locally? Are there plays that we can develop that maybe go to New York and they do the you know they put their New York take on a Miami story? You know what I mean? I love that. Like there is kind of there's kind of like this like uh, oh well is it uh, is it Miami good or is it good good mm-hmm. like um, or thinking that anything that comes from Miami is great? Like I'm a theater kid. I've seen a lot of like amazing theater in New York, and I've also seen a lot of not great theater in New York. Right. And so I think we need to take a look at what we're creating here a little differently. And I think if we invest more and support our artists more, um, then I think that we all win. What What is a win for you when you think about that? When you talk about a win, what, what would you love to see? What would you love to see happen from that? La Gringa is a win for me. Mm. La Gringa, because like I said, the audiences are coming out in droves. And these are people that we don't know that we don't know at all that are new to us and they're coming out and they're engaging and they're reacting and they're you know they'll get teary-eyed and they'll laugh and they'll say I have to bring my mother I'm gonna and I've had a lot of people say I gotta bring my daughter I gotta bring my daughter she has to see this you know like that is a win when it's a shared experience like I said it's not something you do at people it's something you do with people that's my perspective right and that's it's so much what separates theater from uh, really any other art form yeah. gladys thank you so much for spending the hour with us it's been a lot of fun oh so fun and so fast i told you thank it would go you. by quickly our guest today is gladys ramirez she's the director of la gringa and it's playing at the art center through december 17th and that's sundown for wednesday december 13th leslie Obay atkinson is our lead producer our producer is elisa baena Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. 
Katie Munoz is our Director of Live Programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio, and our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Eduardo Cabra of the Puerto Rican duo Calle 13. He'll tell us about his career as a Grammy-winning artist and producer. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. <laughs>